Hi, I'm Pastor Guy Burke. We welcome you to this week's worship with First Baptist Church Indianola. We also invite you to find out more about us at our website, www.fbcindianola.com. And don't forget to like us on social media. Join us now as we study deep truths from God's holy word. worship team for leading us in that time. I want to invite you to take your copy of God's Word and turn to the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 2, and we're going to be in verses 1 through 7 together this morning. Familiar passage of Scripture to us all, uh, but today we're going to be walking through this, and I hope that it brings uh, some clarity to your Christmas as we join in Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, verses 1 through 7. Recently, I renewed my driver's license. Uh, these four years keep coming around a little bit faster these days. I don't know why that is, but uh, I wanted to renew my license online. And so I went into the website and had a little bit of trouble. Imagine that, you know, uh, these websites, right? Uh, and so I went to the website, was having a little trouble getting, getting it done. I kept getting this error message that said the credentials were not correct, whatever that means in their language. Uh, and so I kept, I, I did about the third time though, a light bulb went off, you know, third time's a charm. Uh, and so the third time light bulb went off that I was putting in a suffix with my name. You see, my dad's a junior, uh, but I'm the third. So I was putting in the third. So I took out the suffix and then boom, I was in. Filled out the rest of the information, paid. A few days later, brand new license in the mail. Loved it. Need to, need to get that fixed though, so I don't get so frustrated next time. But got my license renewed. And what we see happening here in Luke is another registration that was happening. Uh, we don't just register in modern times, right? They were registering all the way back uh, in this day as well. And in Luke's gospel, the, in the backdrop is for the first Christmas is a registration. Joseph and Mary are traveling to Bethlehem for the government's record. Uh, last week, as we began this new series, A Multifaceted Christmas, we looked at prophecy. And we saw from Isaiah's prophecy in the Old Testament, the Messianic prophecy and how that was fulfilled by Christ. Well, today we're going to turn our attention to the miracle of Jesus' birth. And over the next couple of weeks, as we walk to Christmas together, we're going to see these, these, these different facets that come through the gospel message and the Christmas narrative. Last week we saw prophecy. This week we're looking to Luke to see the miracle of Christ's birth because Christ's birth was miraculous. We also, in this passage that we're going to read in just a few moments, we come to an understanding of what the miracle of Jesus' birth truly means and how understanding Jesus, his miraculous birth, it points us to the miracle of salvation that comes by faith alone in him. As we unpack the deep truths of Christmas, we'll learn that miracles can't be registered but faith registers us for eternity. So I invite you to turn in your copy of God's Word to Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, as we read from Luke's Gospel together this morning. And this is what's recorded. In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that the whole empire should be registered. The first registration took place while Quirinius was gover governing Syria. So everyone went to be registered, each to his own town. Verse 4. Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family line of David, to be registered along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was pregnant. 
While they were there, the time came for her to give birth. Then she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him tightly in cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. Here in this passage, this Christmas passage, this passage that we look at annually each and every year around this time, I want us to focus on this facet of the miraculous taking place. And the miraculous takes place to impact our lives, but our daily lives. And so first, in in verses 1 through 3, we see the miracles context. The miracles context. Also this year, it being 2020, the first year of a decade, that means that there was a, a U.S. census that was taking place, right? Maybe you filled your stuff out online or mailed your stuff in uh, as, as you got that through, that correspondence through the mail this year. Uh, but this year, every 10 years in our country, there's a registration for the U.S. Census that takes place. And they use this information in all sorts of ways. All these analytics are done. All these demographics are done. It tells us all, all this detailed information. And it forms uh, policies and, and different things that happen within our country and the life of our country. And Luke has given us this backdrop of the divine story. And now he, he narrows the focus and shows us this registration that's taking place for Jesus' birth. But one question comes to mind. Why does Luke do this? He's writing about Christ. He was there walking with Christ. Why is he including that a registration, a census has taken place? Why, why does he implant that detail into the narrative of his gospel? We probably wouldn't do that, right? We, we don't like getting the census mail out, much less recording it if we're talking about Jesus, right? We probably wouldn't be on our list as we mapped out our gospel narrative that we were going to write and type up to include, hey, there's a census going on. But Luke does that. Luke puts that detail in here. Why does Luke do that? Luke is writing his gospel, and he shows what seems to be a minute detail. But Luke is revealing a theological reality. And that theological reality and why he puts it in here is this. In this context, the context of the miracle, and even in the census and the registration, we see Luke understanding that God's sovereign divine hand is moving throughout all of this. So why is this registration, this census, this detail Placed in here is Joseph's Joseph's travels with Mary to Bethlehem. Why is this placed in here? Because the theological reality is this, is that God is sovereign. Now, what do we mean by that? What do we mean when we say God is sovereign and when we talk about divine sovereignty? Well, this is what we mean. Divine sovereignty refers to God's all-encompassing rule over the entire universe. Now, we may look up at the stars, and we may see a sunrise, and we may be mesmerized as we go to the beach and see the waves crashing in, and we may think, well, God is sovereign over all these grand things over all the universe. But what Luke shows us here is that the theological reality is, is that God is sovereign even in the most minute detail. And as we see the Christmas story unfold, and as we see the context of the Christmas story, we see this minute detail, and we may think, why is Luke placing that in there? Because he's showing 
He's placing that distinct element of who God is, that God is sovereign even in the story of Christmas. Friend, if God was sovereign then, guess what? He's sovereign today. If God was sovereign then in the Christmas story, God is sovereign in your life and in my life. God is sovereign within the life of our church. God is sovereign no matter what the circumstances of life come at us. Whatever that looks like for me and you, and you may be at that point today, you may be at that point in this season and in this year and in your life where there's some crossroads, where there's some difficult circumstances, where there's some things on the horizon that you've got your head down about. But I want to encourage you today to know that God was sovereign over the birth of his son. He is sovereign over you and me, and we can trust in him because he is sovereign. Right here in this little minute detail is that theological reality. And in this miracles context, the context of Jesus' miraculous birth, we see the hand of God. And this should be great encouragement to us. It should be really very encouraging to us. And the reason we should be encouraged is because when we learn that Jesus was born, he wasn't born into this pleasant political environment. No, Jesus was born into an earthly system with earthly kings, with earthly administrations. He was born with all of this transpiring. And you know what that says to us? It simply says that Jesus came into our time and into our space. You see, the the context here with Joseph traveling to be registered, it seems like a minute detail, but the context here reveals to us that God didn't shine things up so that Jesus could enter on the scene. That's not what happened. God God didn't put out the variables onto the sideline in order for Jesus to enter. He didn't do that. Jesus entered into our chaos. Now, how do we know it's chaos? Because it all goes back to the beginning of the story, the grand story of Scripture, creation, fall, Redemption, restoration. We go back to the fall in Genesis chapter 3 where sin entered into this space and into this time and it set things into chaos and into motion. And how do we know that? Well, we know that because Adam and Eve are put out of the Garden of Eden, right? And then following that, the first murder takes place between brothers. So it's all all been chaotic because of sin. And this is what Jesus enters into. It wasn't glossed. It wasn't, there wasn't a bow put on the outside of it so Jesus could come. No, Jesus enters into our chaos. He doesn't run from the mess. He comes in the mess to correct the mess. And you may feel like you're in a mess. We all may feel like we're in a mess. Well, congratulations, we're in the mess together. But thankfully we have a Savior who doesn't run from the mess. Bethlehem tells us that he came into the mess. And that he's sovereign over it. And that miracles can't be registered. But by faith, we can register for eternity. And that's what this context is all about. This minute detail that we think Oh, it's just something they had to do. No, Luke implanted this to show just how grand the sovereignty of God is. And what we learn here is that earthly matters do not supersede heavenly will. 
earthly matters do not supersede heavenly will. God is sovereign and God, God's plan is going to go forth. And you may be thinking that the earthly matters of this world are closing in upon you and about to swallow you whole. Well, friend, hold on to the faith in Christ, in faith in the sovereign God, a faith in the Lord whose heavenly will will overcome. Hold on to that. That's what we learn from the miracles context. And that is what we can apply to our life. Because as scholar Leon Morris notes, Luke sees God as the Lord of history. Nothing has surprised God. No, nothing has taken God off guard. There hasn't been a blitz up the middle on fourth down that surprised God, okay? He's not surprised. He is God. And guess what? What scares you and me? It doesn't scare God. And we see that in the context of the miracle of Jesus' birth. That this divine movement is happening and it is the context here that is miraculous. Luke not only gives us the overall context, but he shows us a specific scene of the miracle. And we see that in verses 4 and 5. We see the miracle scene. We see that, that Joseph and Mary are traveling. They're going to register. They're going to follow the directives. And then the scene comes where there's no room, right? The scene comes where they, they thought they had a room, but there was no room. Or they were seeking for that room, and there was no room available. And so Luke narrows the scene a little bit. He goes from this large registration, everybody's got to go back home. And now he gets very specific on the predicament they find themselves in. It's like a scene from a play. Uh, one of the first big plays I got to go see, me and my wife, Lindsay, we lived in New Orleans and while I was in seminary, her parents came down to visit us, and her dad got these awesome tickets to see the play, The Phantom of the Opera. He got these awesome tickets in the Sanger Theater, downtown New Orleans, and we got to get out of our poor seminary housing and step out like we were somebody for a night. And so we went to see uh, The Phantom of the Opera, and it was a magnificent performance. It was a great experience. And each scene in that story continue to build upon each other in order to have that wonderful experience. And this is what we see. We see the miracles scene as he narrows the focus for us. Luke has given us the backdrop, but now he comes into the scene as Joseph reports to Bethlehem. Now this is interesting. Just hang with me. This is interesting. Bethlehem is known as the town of David. And if you understand scripture and if you've read the Old Testament, we know that this means King David, the king of Israel in the Old Testament. So, so what's interesting about this is that Bethlehem is known as the town of David. But once David left there in his earthly life, he never returned to Bethlehem. Now Jesus was born in Bethlehem. But you know what? Jesus never returned to Bethlehem. Now here's another minute detail. Why is that important, preacher? Preacher, what does it matter that Bethlehem is known as a town of David, what does, that, what does that have to do with anything? What Luke is showing us in another minute detail in this scene, the miracle scene, is that Jesus is the greater David. The people were looking for another like King David. They wanted a king, a military leader, a, a Messiah that would bring back Israel to its prominence. But Jesus came 
to win the battle that was spiritual. Jesus' birth ushered in one greater than King David because his king, his kingdom, and as he reigns as king in the office of king, not only does he perfect and fulfill the office of king, which David could not do, his kingdom lasts forever. And what Luke is showing us, that in God's divine plan and in his sovereignty, one greater than David had come. But we also see another detail here of Mary traveling with Joseph. Why is that? More than likely, she didn't have to be there. Even if she had owned land on her own somehow during this day and age, she didn't necessarily have to be by Joseph's side in this travel. So most likely, Joseph did not want to leave Mary behind. She had already been spending time with her cousin Elizabeth in the pregnancy, months with Elizabeth. And so Joseph didn't want to leave her alone and behind. So he brought her with him. And along this journey, along this miraculous journey, Mary was present. And Luke notes that they were engaged and, or betrothed, most likely because their marriage had not been consummated. And here we see that in the miraculous scene, relationship rises. Think about the miracles of Jesus in his earthly ministry. And then think about the relationships that were part of those miracles. Here we see once again in the miraculous birth of Jesus, the relationship between Joseph and Mary being a center point. That their relationship together, as they were about to raise Jesus as a child, as he came to earth, that relationship rose to the top. And that speaks to us in our Christmas about our relationships. That Jesus can work a, a miracle so that we can have a relationship with him, but it also calls us out to consider our other relationships. The, this vertical relationship between us and God can be reconciled through Christ because he has been born and he has come to save us. He has come to the mess to save us from our sins. But then it calls us to reflect upon the relationships that are horizontal and how those witness for God, those honor God, and those follow the will of God. You see, Joseph and Mary and their relationship, they were continuing to follow the will of God in their life. And it brought them to this miraculous scene. And Luke records that. In the scene of Jesus' earthly parents, it leads us to the miraculous event of his birth. And that's what we see in these final two verses, verses 6 and 7. So we, we've seen the miracle's context. We've seen the miracle scene. Now we see the miracle event in verses 6 and 7. You know, we get a, our news a lot differently these days, right? We get our news in a lot of different ways across a lot of different mediums. Yesterday was <clears throat> my daughter Addie's birthday. She turned 12 this past week, and so we celebrated and had a little art party, and grandparents and just a handful of friends came, came to wish her happy birthday and, and be at the party. And I was talking with my in-laws, and we, were, we had a Christmas playlist going, and then one of my favorites, Blue Christmas by Elvis. Came on. Anybody like that? I know you're not going to raise your hand in church, but it's all right. We, we like Blue Christmas by Elvis. And so I looked at my in-laws and I said, you know, I'm going to take my kids to Graceland one day. I'm going to ride them up there. We're going to go to Graceland. We're going to go down to Marlowe's and eat some ribs with the, the pink uh, limousines are. We're going we're gonna to do the whole thing. And they began to tell me that they were in Florida 
when news broke that Elvis had passed away in the late 70s and that they didn't know anything about it till they got the paper that day and opened up the paper and there was a whole spread on the passing of Elvis Presley. It made me realize we get our news in a lot different way today, don't we? We take out our device, we open that news app, and if we subscribe to the plus version, it'll even read the news to us. We've come a long way since the telegram, haven't we, right? We get our news in a lot different ways and a lot of different mediums, and it comes at us constantly. We're here, Luke gives the news, the miraculous news that the Messiah has been born. But yet, he puts it very simply. He puts it very, very simply. The miraculous birth of Jesus, it doesn't come with great fanfare here for Luke. He doesn't take out a full-page article here, right? He doesn't take out a full-page spread. There's no gender reveal party along the journey to Bethlehem, right? There's none of that going. There's no shower thrown at somebody's house along the way or the church fellowship hall. Hey, Mary, you're coming through. We heard about it. We're going to throw you a shower. You know, we've got you all the baby essentials wrapped up. We've got you a diaper cake. Hope you like that. We don't want to have any of, any of that kind of fanfare as they come to Bethlehem. There's no door hanger. There's no door hanger announcing that the baby has come and how long it is and how much it weighs. It's just very simply put, this miraculous event, Luke just, he just lays it out there and it shows that the Messiah was born into relative obscurity. The scholar Leon Morris notes this. He says that everything about this event, it points to poverty, obscurity, and even rejection. This miraculous event that had been told of by prophets years and years and decades and years before, simply came to pass. Mary and Joseph knew it's important. But those on the outside looking in just thought another baby had been born. They just thought another couple had a son. There was not even place for them in the inn. So we don't know if they didn't get off on time, they didn't leave on time. You know, us men make everybody late because we don't take directions, so we don't know if that happened. We, we don't know if they were promised a room, but when they got there, that promise was broken. We don't know that. All we understand is, is that there was no place for them to stay except next to a manger. Maybe something like a cave with the animals. Poverty, obscurity, rejection. This describes the miraculous event of Jesus' birth. You know, many times, miracles may not look like miracles. Maybe if we had time, we could go around the room this morning or, or hear someone send us a message from online and, and they could tell us about a miracle that happened in their life. But maybe in the moment, maybe as you're walking through it, you didn't know it was a miracle. It was just like Tuesday. That was it. But when you look back, you can see God's hand providing. You can see 
God's hand moving. And a lot of times miracles don't look like miracles. They just look like little things, right? Well, I heard a quote this week. You know, I love quotes. And this quote was this. Little things don't mean a lot. Little things don't mean a lot. Little things mean everything. And the little thing that took place in Bethlehem where a baby was born, where nobody else cared, nobody else really knew at that point in time, as Luke records it, that little thing that happened when the baby was placed in a manger, it seemed like a little thing to a lot of people. It still does today seem like a little thing to a lot of people. But, friend, I'm here to tell you this morning, it means everything. It means everything. Because the miracle was laid in the manger. And the miracle came to the mess. And the miracle came so that the miracle of salvation that is freely offered to you and me to where we can register for eternity, that happened. And I pray that this miraculous facet brings deep clarity to our Christmas this year. That it brings deep clarity to our daily lives. Because miracles can't be registered, but we can register by faith for eternity. As we wrap up today, we throw around the, the term miracle in a lot of different ways, don't we? I mean, if we, if we took time and just thought about it and maybe jotted a few examples down... We use the word miracle in a lot of different contexts in a lot of different ways. Often we, we throw this word around. We, we use it to describe a sporting event. Did you see the, the miracle that happened? Or, or maybe you remember the miracle on ice back in the day, right? We throw that word around for sporting events. We throw the word miracle around because we got a good grade on, uh, in our class. Or it was a miracle that, that we were able to... to to grow in, a, in, a, in a, a year like 2020. Or we use the word miracle when there's more than two registers open at Walmart. All sorts of miracles, right? We throw that word around. The miracle of Jesus' birth, it can't be lumped into the pool of our shallow miracles. Because it is a divine miracle. The miracle of Jesus' birth means that there can be a miracle for our eternity. And that's heavy. That's heavy when you think about that. And it draws us to an authentic worship of this miracle worker. Miracles can't be registered, but faith registers us for eternity. And friend, that's what I want for you today. I want you to possess clarity regarding the miracle of Christmas. I want you to possess this clarity of who Jesus is and the miracle of his birth, that it would impact not only your Christmas day, but your every day. And I want you to, by faith, by faith to believe that not only Jesus was born, but in who he truly is, that he is the Messiah, the anointed one, the Savior, the Son of God, the Lamb of God who came to take away the sin of the world. That's what I want for you this Christmas. Because if that is the gift you received this Christmas, then it changes not just a day, not just your every day, but all of your eternity. Let's pray together. Lord, I pray for everyone listening, everyone in attendance.
God, I pray for us as a church, a local body of believers, God, that the miracle of Christmas would not be lumped into other miracles, but it, it would rise and it would stand alone as a divine miracle that we would recognize even in the most minute details you are sovereign and that we can trust you, God. And we praise you for the miracle of Christ and his birth. That he, he didn't run from the mess, that he came and he entered our space and our time to save us from the mess, to redeem us as the Messiah, the one true son of God. Lord, as we walk about these next days, as we head to Christmas Day, I pray that we will have clarity in our Christmas so that our lives may glorify you. Miracles can't be registered, but faith can register to us for eternity. If you've made a decision today, if you're in here, if you're in the room today, and God has spoken to your heart, and there's a decision you need to make, a faith decision, after we dismiss, I would love to stick around and talk with you and pray with you. If you're listening today, tuning in today, and God has spoken to your heart and you have a decision to make, we want you to comment or we want you to send us a direct message. Contact us. We want to journey with you as the Lord speaks to your heart and to help you in any way that we can. Lord, we commit this time to you. We ask that you would have your way, that you would use this in a way that only would bring glory and honor to you. We pray this in your powerful name. Amen.